Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rounding the Earth podcast. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. It's going to be a wild one. Rounding the Earth is a popular newsletter series published on Substack, written by applied statistician and educator Matthew Crawford. Topics of discussion range from critical analysis of conventional wisdom to Bitcoin and everything in between. And of course, the ongoing situation that we describe as the COVID-19 pandemic. Our goal is a careful examination of important topics and perspectives shaping the world that too few people talk about. Subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Substack, Rumble, YouTube if you want. It's a bit, it's a bit shaky there. And Rockfin and Odyssey to join a burgeoning research community and to help us unflatten the earth. My name is Liam Sturgis. I am a musician, singer, songwriter, music producer, and writer slash editor coming at you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I will be your host for today. But of course, 2023 will be no different than the prior year. I don't do this alone. Please allow me to introduce my co-host and the author of Running the Earth, Matthew Crawford. Hello, Matthew. Happy New Year, Liam. Happy New Year to you as well. What have you been up to uh, in the three days that we've been uh, out of 2022? Um, cleaning home, uh, making a garden bed deeper, uh, shopping, you know, uh, very simple things mostly, um, sleeping a little bit more while, while there's the opportunity, right? Absolutely. Well, and did you use the opportunity you had? Did you have a good break to recharge? Did you get to celebrate? Oh yeah, yeah. I spent a little time with um with friends, talked to family, and um, you know, uh, yeah, mostly uh, just staying low key and and actually taking the time to have a break. Nice, nice. Well, we're right back in it. You had a, a very interesting show yesterday with Steve Kirsch, and maybe we can touch on that again at the end because right now I want to jump right in and introduce everyone to our guest for the day, Michael Kane. Good afternoon, Michael. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be helping to reround the earth with you today. <laughs> <laughs> you get it, my friend. Well, do you want to very quickly introduce yourself to the audience for those who might not be familiar with who you are? Yeah, absolutely. My name's Michael Kane. Uh, I am the founder of a group called Teachers for Choice. Uh, you can check us out at teachersforchoice.org. And I'm also the grassroots organizer for Children's Health Defense. Um, I was a New York City public school teacher for 14 years until um, I was fired for declining COVID vaccination and um, been fighting in the courts ever since, been fighting on the streets. We've had a pretty intense heat up in the streets of New York City with groups like myself, groups like myself, Teachers for Choice, Bravest for Choice, the, the firefighters, Finest for Choice, police officers um, as well as uh, New York Freedom Rally and other groups that really, we have thousands in the streets of New York City protesting these mandates, but I'm still fired. Uh, I'm still not allowed to teach in New York City and um, things can get much worse than that. And that's why if you see on the website, what, what Liam just pulled up here, we're going to Albany, New York. Albany is the capital of New York. The session is starting right now and they have a bunch of ridiculous bills that they want to codify into law. Things such as allowing... Um, uh, children to consent, consent to any medical procedure without parental knowledge or uh, consent from the parent. I mean, so this is everything from like dental work to vaccination to chopping off your genitals. Uh, th this is the genius that happens where these lawmakers sit around and say, hmm, what, what can we do to make the state, you know, quote unquote, better? 
So we're calling on people to come to us to Albany. If you're in the New England area, uh, if you're in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, anywhere around, what happens in New York reverberates. And we've beaten all mandate and vaccine bills for the past three years. During the time where they should have been able to get COVID shot mandates and other things codified into law, they have not been able to do so. And that's because last year we showed up with 4,000 people at the Capitol and every year we show up. So uh, if you can support us, you know, Mary Holland will be there to speak, the president of Children's Health Defense, Dr. Paul Alexander, an epidemiologist from Buffalo, Mo Oliver, shout out to Mo. He's a New York City school teacher for 23 years, and he was fired simply for declining COVID vaccination. And other, people's are coming, other people are joining on, too. Actually, recently, um, Brian Braze, the founder of the People's Convoy, is going to come. He's coming from Ohio, and he's coming on in. And um, I followed the the, the convoy in, in Canada as well as in the States quite closely. And, man, that was a really rough, crazy situation. And Brian did an outstanding job of, of being a, an activist in a weird space. So I'm really excited he's coming down. And um, hopefully I'm sure hundreds of people are coming, but I'm hoping it's going to be thousands. We've done it before, and hopefully we'll do that again. Yeah. Um, well, that's incredible. And I, I think we've had Mr. Braze on the show before in our election coverage, and he he had some pretty crazy stories to tell. Um, and, and you do as well. What are some of the successes you've uh, you've accomplished thus far? Because it's so, funny, you don't hear about the big rallies that accomplish change in our favor in the news. You only hear about when they go, you know, when one person brings a swastika flag, allegedly, or <laughs> when it results in a, in a loss for medical freedom. So what, what's the good news? What have you accomplished? So um, I started Teachers for Choice in August of 2020 because the teachers union in New York City called for forced testing of all adults in the building. Otherwise, you lose your job. So the second I saw my union, it wasn't my boss. It was my union saying, you do this test or you're gone. I, I knew forced vaccination was coming. I knew which way the wind was blowing. So um, we sued early on and we took a unique angle in our lawsuit because I sent an email to the head of my union, to Bill de Blasio, who was the former mayor of New York City, school chancellor, all the important people. And I said, what happens to my specimen after you take it, right? Is, are the privacy rights to my specimen uh, protected? Crickets. I was actually shocked. I thought I was going to get an email back about like, hello, Mr. Kane. Of course, that's ridiculous. Of course, the privacy right. Nobody wanted to respond. So I spoke to Mary Holland, who was slowly getting a friendship with her at that time. I didn't work for Children's Health Defense then. I was a teacher. And um, I said, Mary, something's wrong here. And she said, well, this doesn't fall in line with our mission, but I'm going to put you in touch with Michael Sussman. Michael Sussman's a civil rights attorney in New York. He took up the case. We sued over this and we ended up winning a court ordered stipulation that said after you give a COVID sample, after you take a test, the sample must be destroyed. That was the important words. The important words were destruction of the sample. And we got that in. Fast forward nine months later, the sheriff in Los Angeles County, Sheriff Villanueva, came out and said, I, I, just recently been in multiple emergency briefings from the FBI. And they have told me we must cancel our contract with the COVID testing company that we're using, Fulgent Genetics, because they have close ties to the Chinese government and it's on their website 
that they can use your DNA for whatever they want. And guess which was one of the main companies in New York City that Folgen was doing Genetics. our testing? It was Fulgen Genetics. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the police out there that figured this out uh, contacted my attorney, Michael Sussman, and you know did some work and got info from him as well, too. So yeah, we that, were 100% right to be concerned about this. We so were vindicated. Can I jump in right here just because um, I, I've had a, a, a more private conversation with people at the university level who have been uh, who have been uh, dealing with this and dealing with these companies that, are, that seem to be collecting genetic data. And I want for people to understand what it is that I've heard from people. And, and there's there's only so much that I can say about this right now. But I know that uh, a process there were people who went through a process of figuring out the legal procedure of having samples discarded into trash. And then from there, rubbish can be collected. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 is, that is literally part of the legal rationale that was put together uh, within universities prior to all of this. And so that um, the people who could collect it and profit off of it could then be the ones who handed it to and have, have the contracts with, um, you know, the, the, the genetic collection companies, you know, it, it is unclear to me how much of this is China collecting U S genetic data or the U S putting a hand through the puppet of something like some, a Chinese organization, because it is absolutely clear to me from the discussions I've had that people at universities all over the U S knew knew about this knew what was going on and it was happening at very high levels if not the highest level so yeah, anyway I, I, I wanted to, to, to i, I agree own. with you on, on all of this that i did not hear the rubbish theory that's that's amazing and that's why the word destroy is so important mm -hmm. that, and, and, what, yes. what, and, and as people I, I mean first off i don't think there should be mandatory COVID testing anywhere ever for any purpose it's it's ridiculous but nevertheless we took this novel approach for a specific reason there are layers to this COVID deception. And the genetic layer was one they were really trying to hide yeah. early on and, and not let out there. Like genetics, what DNA? Like, what do you, I don't got any DNA. You got DNA, you know, it was like this ridiculousness. Um, And the China thing, I'm glad you brought it up. Yes, China has uh, estimates the largest DNA banks in the world. You think Homeland Security ain't competing? I mean, like it's, I see so many of these stories out there that like China's just so evil, right? And, there's a lot of problems there, but come on. I mean, Homeland Security here is doing what they can to keep up and trying to um, uh, basically, in my opinion, do the exact same stuff. Outcompete. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so we won that. We were vindicated on that. We then had people sue two, two DOE employees, then went into lawsuits to sue that they wanted to pick where and when they could get a COVID test. They didn't want to say, yeah, go in this room, use this test, use this person. We actually lost on that lawsuit. Then the vaccine mandates came. And when the vaccine mandates came, um, we pushed back. We pushed back hard. And there's a case in federal court in New York called Kane versus de Blasio. I'm the lead plaintiff. There's about nine other educators along with me. We've been suing for 15 months in federal court. Thank God for Children's Health Defense and their dedication to this case. Uh, I have great attorneys uh, that are working on it. And we've been all up and down the court system. We've had some victories where the uh, New York City Department of Education, New York City itself, had to admit their religious exemption process was illegal and unconstitutional. So they had to, they gave us another process 
that turned out exactly the same way and seemed entirely unconstitutional as well. And we all got denied again, thousands of us. So we're continuing still in court. Our next court date, we will be at the Thurgood Marshall Courthouse down by Foley Square in downtown Manhattan on February 8th. And in a couple of days, we're announcing another lawsuit in regards to this. Uh, so, you know, our lawyers are not letting up. They feel like they have a slam dunk case here. Uh, but the problem with the courts is justice is, is long and slow. So 15 months in, and I, I know teachers who um, had to leave New York State, leave New York City, leave the country, had divorces, lost their homes, lost rent, stabilized apartment. I mean, all types of just terrible, terrible things. Not everybody can reinvent themselves. And, you know, a lot of people invest decades into a job where I didn't make the best money, but I'm going to have security. I'm going to have a pension. I'm taking care of my family. And then you just pull that out from them with this uh, just just insanity about this this COVID narrative. It, it, it's been really hard to watch some of that. Yeah. I've worried all throughout the pandemic that um, a lot of policy was designed to take pension off the books. Yes. I think that we're we're seeing that, you know, I, I lost my pension. I might have a certain amount of it, but nothing compared to what I got into my job for. Um, I, I think we're definitely seeing that happen. And in New York City, uh, the mayor, Eric Adams, is projecting a $10 billion deficit over the next three years, something like that. So a lot of people are looking at the, I mean, it looks like hundreds of millions of dollars that New York City might be on the hook for if they lose here. And you start to wonder how much of this is about public health and how much of it is about, you know, a fiscal dilemma. Yeah. So so does that mean there's a possibility that there was a financial hole dug and it was identified or it was known all the time that there was no way these pensions would ever be able to be paid out? And this is potentially a method to, as you say, take those off the books in order to solve a problem that was created however many decades ago. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Um, at least help that problem. Right. Sure. Because the, a lot of the people, majority of the people who are getting fired and who are off the books now, uh, we've been there for a while. We've been making higher pays. We're not new salaries. But the problem, New York City is seeing is they're not refilling a lot of these positions all across New York City. I mean, a couple of months ago, Eric Adams is at a microphone and, and the cameras are on him and he's going, these are great city jobs. Why doesn't anybody want them? <laughs> and there's all these reports that are coming out showing about these, these employment deficits they have that are huge all across New York City. And they're sitting there like, oh, I don't know why. I don't know why we can't. Maybe it's because people don't have bodily autonomy. Maybe it's because we have a very diverse city in New York City. And these diverse communities don't want to get this shot and be forced. I mean, the black community has like 60 percent unvaccinated rates. Right. So and they, and they, they try to pin this or pigeonhole this that these are like MAGA Trump supporters that are out there causing these problems with this crazy uh, bodily autonomy thing. And it just is not the case at all. Yeah. And there isn't anything in the world that you can't plausibly blame on MAGA supporters at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, right. perhaps that's in part because as far as I've seen, the, the quote unquote MAGA support group is actually quite diverse and not uniform, which is another issue altogether. But right. um that is that is crazy to think. And I wonder, is it just New York where the, the uptake rate is only about 60 percent among black 
populations. No, no, no. no. I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen the stats in a little while, but the African-American community in America has been largely an anti-mandate community. And there's right. there's tons of black activists that are in the streets of New York City with us, working with us, and all of my conversations with them. You know, Kevin Nathaniel, shout out Kevin Nathaniel, just an amazing uh, musician and drummer and percussionist in New York City, who's given us a real like musical vibe at our protests and such. Um, he's he said on camera, he said to me, you know, he said, I could go to anybody's house in anybody in my neighborhood and tell them, nah, man, I'm not vaccinated. I'm not doing that. I'm not with these shots. And it's cool everywhere because the black community is largely an anti-mandate community. That They don't like publicize this largely as much as they should, but it is a stone cold fact. Well, uh, there was a moment, uh, I, I think it was probably coming up on a year ago, maybe about eight months ago, where um, there was, out, I think it was when, oh, what's the name of the, is it Ky Kyrie Irving? Yeah, shout out um, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, yeah, huge shout out Kyrie Irving. Um, and there was a game, I think he had been sidelined at this particular game, and at least the narrative around the video I saw was that you had self-described MAGA folks and self-described Black Lives Matter folks. And they had come together and put their best foot forward together against this ridiculous situation where this where, where Kyrie Irving was being told he couldn't play. And there, I, I, I think that's a reminder that we're actually not as far apart as as people than we think and perhaps that's why it would be valuable for for some members of the community to be more vocal about their opposition to mandates specifically because right now there seems to be an intentional narrative set that you know black liberals are all all for this which is is it doesn't make sense even when you think about it just for a second no one's that uniform no matter what population right. you're part of um so um, but the, you're correct. It, it, without a doubt, the court of law that that takes forever. A lot of what's going on in the courts will be about setting precedents to hopefully avoid this happening again in the future. But in the meantime, there's all sorts of work that I'm sure I'm sure you know this well. The court of public opinion is where the immediate action can happen. So what has been your approach in working both simultaneously? I, I think that, um, well, well, first, I want to address uh, what you brought up about, you know, whether you're a MAGA supporter or you're a liberal or you're black or white. Uh, one of the, the big moments for me that like solidified this was when the Black Caucus of the Green Party came out with a, the strongest <laughs> anti-mandate statement I've ever seen. Now, I, I've actually I've, I've supported Greens. I've even voted for some Greens in the past. They are such a pro-mandate group now. It's it's they're almost exactly like the Democrats. It's actually disgusting, really. Um, but they've changed so much. But the Black Caucus came out and they were like, not us. Like, <laughs> no way. And um, they wrote a, a, a statement, which I, we have a Teachers for Choice somewhere in our archives, where um, they stated that the medical freedom movement is the largest protest and resistance movement in the history of the planet. And if you think about it, that might be correct. If you remember, there was worldwide demonstration. They're still around. But for about a year, worldwide demonstration did that 24 hours period where everybody around the world would go out and would demonstrate. And the biggest one I recall was January 23rd, 2002, defeat the mandates 
Washington, D.C., where 40,000 people came out to D.C. And all around the world, you were having thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all around the world in this coordination. It was such an important movement, believe it or not. I mean, Matt, you might find this hard to believe. There was infiltrators coming into the movement, <laughs> chaos agents. I love that term that Matt coined. Okay. I, I, it, it, funny thing is uh, I wanted to go down this road and ask you some questions because I do have some notes myself on this. And some of them came from, from listening to you. Right. Well, so, yeah. So it was too important of a movement. When there are important movements that come up and that happen, Disruption is 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 necessary, right? For for the powers that be and for various factions out there, we really don't know uh, precisely who they are. We could come up with three letter uh, agencies and such, and and try to think about that. But we've seen this pattern happen before, absolutely. And and I think that um, this combination. To, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Liam, but I'm trying to. Th this combination of uh, getting the information out there being online, being on social media, making these virtual communities, but so much more important, making physical communities, being in the street, educating people in the street, flyering to people, physically handing things out, holding a space that you say is your space, that you are demonstrating at, that you will not wear masks, that you will not ask vaccine status, that you are going to have a free speech zone. These are all things that happen in New York City. And then getting lawyers to sue. So, so it's, it's just a multi-pronged strategy where we have multiple tools and we need to use all of them. And going to Albany on January 10th, there's some people that are telling me, Mike, this never works. They're going to do whatever they want. Well, I mean, we've beaten Albany three years in a row for no new vaccine codified laws. Yeah, sure. There's been some mandates. People have lost jobs. But when you're struggling for civil rights... They're sacrificed. That's just how it goes. We can't like we can't think we got to get everything back, or I'm just going to stay home and eat bonbons. And I ain't going to the Capitol now. That's not how it works. We're going to lose some, but we're going to win some too. And you have to keep showing up and keep fighting no matter what. We've had tens of thousands of people at things, and then you know a couple like a month or two later, we've had a couple hundred, right? But guess what? We do another one, right? And we, and we just we keep going because that consistency, that no matter whatness. From, from grassroots activism, that's what's most important to me. That consistency is what keeps us going. And, and maybe the most important thing, picks up the new people. I got people that are medical freedom fighters for three months right now. For three months. I've been doing this five years. I, I learned from the OGs doing it 20 and 30 years, right? That's who my mentors are. But now there's somebody that's been here three months. God bless them. That's what we're here for more than anything else, in, in, my, in my view of, of activism. Well, and and I've shared this before, I think, on one of our shows. Um, but I, uh, you mentioned the world worldwide um, worldwide rally. Is that what the organization's called? Yeah, um, I think it was is worldwide demonstration was the real name. There was another one called Worldwide USA, which actually oh, yeah. seemed to seem to be a uh, part of a chaos agent strategy, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so the but the, the real one. So yeah. worldwide uh, it was, demonstration. Yeah, worldwide demonstration. Um, I I had been uh, as I was start. I, I'm a newbie to all of this. I I uh, my background is very liberal. I'm in Vancouver, one of the most uh, socially diverse, progressive country or uh, cities on the planet. But um, so waking up a little bit to some things going wrong, uh, you know, a year and a half ago ish, 
Um, I felt very isolated. Uh, I felt I knew I wasn't the only one um, out there, but there was no one around me. And I, I, I connected well with some audio, some, some communities online, met Matthew through Clubhouse and people like that. But then I heard about a rally, a protest going on uh, outside the Vancouver Art Gallery, and it was the worldwide demonstration putting it on. And I thought, well, look, there's going to probably be, I don't know, 10, 15 people there. And I feel like this is probably useless, but if I don't, go if i if i can't say i tried i will feel as though i've failed so i went and there was maybe a thousand people there and i was shocked and i could not believe how different the reality was from what i understood the reality to be and from then on it was clear to me that most people probably have no idea actually how many people are pushing back and yes. so what i learned from that is uh th these protests um are very much also about like you say bringing on new people who either are only now interested or who have only now discovered the cause exists um, so and, I'm wondering in communication too. you know, what you just said, there were a thousand people there and suddenly you had a signal, you had a signal to understand what the reality was in your community, because you don't get to survey everybody, the statistics right. of, of who your friends are and, and what 12 people you've heard speak do not scale to, you know, to the million person community. So you have right. to see it, you have to know. And yeah. that is when, you know, we hear lots of discussion about well, pro what protest doesn't do anything. They're going to do what they're going to do anyway. Okay, maybe that's true. Maybe protest itself doesn't directly change. In fact, here in Canada, of course, we've had our Prime Minister Trudeau come out and say that he's very concerned about citizens using protest as a way to change government policy. And then, of course, next week praised the Chinese public for protesting to change their policy. But <laughs> That's the world we live in. So yeah. I wonder if you can elaborate on that dichotomy, that sort of weird um, but powerful situation of who, like who is the target audience of protest? I suppose. So, yeah, no, the, that's that's so important. I want to I want to just recount the history of kind of what went on in New York and America, and just kind of talk about that. So we were fighting since September 2020. So that was early. I mean, people were still real scared, masked up you know, hand gel all the time and, and the whole thing. Right. And, um, and, 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 and I understand that. Right. But I knew we had to fight early. Our first protest, we had about 50, 60 people at our first protest. Our second one, we had like 70, 80. Our third one, we had about a hundred. Right. And it was pretty cool. Our fourth one, we had 3000. Right. There was this jump that happened when the vaccine mandates went in and they were firing workers. We have 3000 people at City Hall. They still fired us. We still had to go into the courts. Then vaccine passports. Then in New York City it was called the key to the city. What's yeah. the key to the city? You got to get jabbed up. That's how you get in anywhere. Right. So then Philadelphia has vaccine passports. Boston. Then just two weeks before Defeat the Mandates comes to D.C., D.C. has a vaccine passport that comes in two weeks before Defeat the Mandates. Defeat the Mandates then has 40,000 people show up at it. I forgot to mention three weeks earlier in Albany, we had 4,000. There was this buildup that was happening. I actually remember being on a call 
where people were saying, should we do defeat the mandates or not? Because I helped to organize that with, with a number of people. And Pierre Corey, when he heard there was 4,000 people in Albany, Dr. Corey said, that sounds like momentum. We got to go to D.C. Uh, defeat the mandates might not have happened without those words from Pierre Corey, by the way, which was mm. shout out Pierre Corey. I just love him so much. And so and we got to D.C. and you had that. And then what happened? Two weeks before defeat the mandates, D.C., D.C. implemented vaccine passports. Two weeks after it, they got rid of it. You're going to tell me that had nothing to do with 40,000 people coming there in four weeks time. It reversed that quickly. What happened? D.C. dropped, Philly dropped, Boston dropped and even New York City dropped. So we don't get every single thing we want from every protest and every demand we make when we make it. That's silly. That's childish to think that's how it works. But when you and then also right at that same time, boom, you had the Ottawa Freedom Convoy happen right then, too. And just more of a build was happening just all around the world. It was boiling. Had which one of those elements we pull away and we still have vaccine passports right now. Right. I, I don't know how to answer that. But to think that our efforts did nothing is defying reality and defying what the historical record and critical thinking clearly show in my opinion well yeah oh sorry matthew go for it uh yeah it, it, it's occurring to me just in this conversation that at different times and in different ways protests can have different effects and i was thinking when when liam was talking about those thousand people i was thinking about the statistical reality and it, there are times when it feels like there are five thousand people in the world who care about x and every single one of them is at a, at a protest <laughs> Right. Because it is because it's a topic that's been ongoing for years and it almost feels like um, there's an attempt to peacock and look larger. Right. Um, and, and, and then there's a moment when everyone is scattered and the purpose of a protest is coming together to show that there is a mass there at all. Right. To to uh, to raise a hand when actually it's the opposite of the peacock peacock which is that you know that most of it is still hidden the moment that you see it and and th there's something that we get about that intuitively and so maybe that's why you know something like that can have more an effect than people realize and maybe that that's important for people to, to remember the next time around that they feel like they're being silenced in mass that is the best time in the world to go out and wave a hand and yeah, and walk yeah there's, the there's, there's there's so many that, that that's a really really eloquent point. There's so many different roles that the protest, that the rally, that the educational flyer handout, that the um, creative artistic installation, all of these different things play. And we've seen all of them happen. You know, we I've seen medical freedom fighters go to New York City, Soho during the Halloween parade. And dress up as doctors with gigantic needles going after people, right? So, so there's, there's, it's culture in general and overall, it's music. It's the basketball player, Kyrie Irving, who says, no, I'm going to lose $15 million right now, maybe lose my career because I'm not getting your effing shot. But all of these things play into each other and, and are, are so important. And we don't know the results of what we do. We can't do just for results. In my opinion, for where I come from, that does, denies the most high powers. The, the most high powers has its plan and has what is going to happen. We're going to play our role in it. And we can't say, well, if, if these three laws and these two mandates don't end on this date, 
then I'm never coming out to a protest again. Yeah. That's just that just um, doesn't it's it, it, it's a lack of education and understanding about how how history and, and the now unfolds, you know. So how does it unfold? And what I mean is, is it the case that throughout history, tyrannies have been ended or uh, problematic laws have been changed? Is it done by the stroke of a pen or is it done through wide scale change of heart? Uh, oh, wide scale change of heart. I mean, I, I forget which president it was that said, uh, you've elected me on this platform and you've gotten me in here for this platform. Now make me go do it. Mm. Right? That's the only way politicians do something is when money moves them, maybe some other nefarious powers as well too. Um, or the people are, you know, they're at the gate, you know, <laughs> like they're ready, they're, they're ready to go. And, um, you know, I am seeing some of that with this medical freedom movement. You, you guys, I don't know how aware you are of this, but back in 2019 on June 13th, in Albany, New York, the religious exemption to vaccination for children was repealed. Now, um, that kicked 26,000 children out of school. These were children who were unvaccinated due to their parents' sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, and 45 states in America still have religious exemptions to vaccination for children to attend school. Back, I was at those protests and I followed the uh, organizers in New York who were my mentors, specifically John Gilmore and Rita Palma, were uh, telling us what to do, and I was doing what they told us to do. We lost because we probably had about 2,000 people activated. Even though 26,000 kids were impacted, we didn't have 20, 30, 40,000 people showing up. Some people actually, the day after the lowest pass, was like, wait, what do you mean my kid can't go to school? Like, they didn't even didn't know. Even know. Hmm. Now, with COVID, and what's happened, COVID was supposed to be the keys to the kingdom for big pharma and for the global elite. And at its peak, what I remember as being a peak moment of anxiety for me was in Austria, when you had some people taking to social media saying they're about to make it illegal to walk the streets unvaccinated. Yeah. $1,000 fine. After three fines, you can be locked up. It was reaching real catastrophic, forthright feeling. Uh, you know, heights, but the people kept rising too. And then it kind of stopped. And then they're kind of like backing away like this, like looking at us, right? Like, okay, <laughs> they're backing away. And now they're waiting for that moment to prance on us one more time again. So um, there's no question that the power of the people can, and, and I, I feel like I've witnessed it, did change the narrative. Now, what's the narrative now? Where are they going to go to now? You know, I'm supporting a number of Republicans now, something I've never done. I supported Lee Zeldin, who ran for governor in New York, um, because he was saying no mandates will rehire the workers. Right. And and he didn't win, but he did have an impact here. And and I'll support other Republicans, too, because they are understanding and, 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 and identifying with and helping my cause. But what's the next narrative? I mean, identity, digital identity, uh, central bank currency, digital currencies, the DNA thing. We There's so many different things that can happen. I feel like the vaccine mandate thing is going back. But now I'm scratching my head. What What's next? Oh, I'll give you one example. They're starting to look into 
what it will require to bring biometrics into all New York State schools. So retina scans, facial recognition, uh, tracking devices. In Britain, uh, like six months ago, I read this, there was nine schools that you had to get a facial recognition to get your peanut butter and jelly for lunch, right? Wow. So, so that's where I'm at now. We were able to push back major league on vaccine mandates. What's next? What's coming in? Who is it coming from? We got we we can we can form political alliances, but we also need to be cautious because there's a lot going on here, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to there's so much you just said that I want to dive into, but the thing about political alliances, so I'm in the exact same boat. Like I mentioned, liberal, it's just how I've grown up. I've never known anybody really who is who would vote conservative. We always hated Stephen Harper, who was our conservative prime minister for a while, but I never really understood why. Anyway, point is I've now voted for every single political party, all four of the political parties in Canada of relevance. I helped, or I joined the Conservative Party of Canada to help select the next leader up here. Point is, the you know political affiliation has really sort of compl actually completely changed in, in meaning for me. It no longer means what I thought it did. Um, and so there's that, first of all, and, and, and I wonder what your thoughts are on um on what it means to be republican or 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 democrat or but but even more important is there opportunism going on here an example so i got to um i got to participate in something called a citizens hearing which happened in toronto uh ontario at the end of june of this past year and it was a it's exactly what it sounded like it was a big uh, it was it was a hearing of 60 citizens, professionals of various kinds, um, former public health officials, basically in a, 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 a in a in a concise, easy to process uh, official feeling form, lay out everything that went wrong from the personal level to the, the policy level. And um, the the big get or the the very powerful alliance that was made through that was a gentleman named Preston Manning, who I didn't I didn't know anything about. I met him before knowing who he was um but he is basically the 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 grandfather of the current conservative party of canada um he was the leader of the official opposition a bunch of years ago um he, he's our populist leader i now understand um and he's wonderful we had dinner um we 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 prayed together very wonderful man as far as i can tell but there's been other aspects of this pointed out where he's got his own think tank uh he's got the manning institute he has his own political agenda as we to whatever degree all do and so i've had people come to me and say watch out because as good as this is there's a chance this goes way too far the other direction and then we're back in the same problem so i we, i want to ask about that and and also i see the same issue with you know for example, those who paint, be it Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, um, or even someone like in a fantasy world where RFK Jr. runs as the Democrat uh, candidate. What, can we talk about, or could you give your thoughts about, what's your perspective on the, the benefits of allying with political officials? Uh, what's the danger there? What has your, been your experience? Very broad question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I, I believe political alliances are necessary. We're in a political world. Politics dictate 
the majority of the physical impact on us from what we eat to the what we're paid to to what our, our, our health care looks like. Um, so I believe we live in a political world and we should be engaged in that process. Uh, I don't believe we should just say nothing ever changes. It's all rigged. It is all rigged. Um, it's Gambino's versus Gotti's, the Democrats versus Republican, straight up in, in America. I'll speak about what I know in America. Yeah. That is the key. But when the Gambinos come and they got their guns on your kids, you go to the Gotti's and you say, we got to get these guns out of here. Right. And I got three million people behind me that want to get rid of them. And you do that. And you're right. You don't trust the Gotti's. You don't trust the Gambinos. Ultimately, you can't. Um, but um, if you prove you're a voting block in America, you can then dictate and drive a portion of the narrative. And we're seeing that happen. Um, the moment I saw it, the moment I realized that vaccine mandates, mandates in general, were, were a political, had become partisan, where it had become basically now it's almost like abortion in America. If you're yeah. you know, pro life, you're a Republican. If you're pro choice, you're Democrat. For establishment politicians, I mean, not for rank and file people. If rank and file people have nuanced, or we're real people. But um, mandates are becoming that. And the moment I saw that was it was, it was during the convoy, um, I believe during the American convoy. When the U.S. Senate passed a bill to end the COVID emergency um, in, in America. And they also, there was another one as well, too, that I think was to end the military mandate. Now, th it wasn't going to pass. But what it said to me immediately was Mitch McConnell just signed off on this. Mm. The highest ranking Republican in America, he was shared the Senate. Uh, with Chuck Schumer, the Democrat, he's just signed off on it. And for me, that was like, oh, my God, this is a brand new day for mandates, because all the way up to the top, they have just said this is a partisan issue for, for us now. What does that mean? That means for them, we need this to get elected. Our our base needs to see us doing this. And are we going to get everything? Hell no, we're not going to get everything. They just ended the military vaccine mandate. So there's no more mandate going forward. And for anybody court-martialed, you get back pay. You don't get your job back. So, so that's what they ended up getting, negotiating with Joe Biden and the Democrats. But you know what? I'm glad they got that because it could be way worse. So I am definitely down to cut deals and to work and to move because I feel we need to. And I do believe that democracy does work-ish. It kind of works. When we have all of these numbers, we get some of these victories. But the elites and the politicians and the real power players, they're just, you know, like one, one of the big ones. I'm really happy with what Elon Musk is doing. I, I think what he's doing on Twitter uh, is remarkable. It's historical. I agree with him. And I thank him. I just heard Whitney Webb say that she believes what Elon Musk actually is, is part of the agenda that we've been hearing for at least a year, maybe more, that we need trust in the media again, right? Yeah. This is something nobody trusts the media. We need to bring back trust in the media. Now, everyone who's been saying we need to bring back trust in the media saying, oh, Elon Musk, this is a horrible guy. Well, I mean, to me, I feel like while I appreciate what he's doing, again, uh, you know, Noralink and other things that he's involved in aren't my favorite things. So we, we need to make the alliances. I appreciate what Elon's doing, and I give him his props for doing that now. 
But that doesn't mean I sign off on everything that he does or ever will do. Right. Like the three of us here at this table would not share every single policy belief. Right. Like we all have new, like you say, if we're, I don't know if we're rank and file anything, but we, we do all have nuanced perspectives. And I think that's tremendously. And so when you do have temporary alignment of interests, I think that's what you're saying is there's no reason to then write someone off because you know, they have an interest in, you know, planting a brain chip in you, that doesn't then mean every good thing they're saying, good from your perspective, is then also a write-off. I think that's a very much, it's a very wise approach. And then, and then, and then, and then we also have to be careful because there is a certain point where it is like, okay, you're pro-mandate, but you're kind of Adolf Hitler, so no, right? There is, yeah, yeah. For, for me, for me, for example, um, I'll, I'll name this guy, Nick Fuentes. No, oh. Nick Fuentes is, is horrible. Um, it's beyond the pal. I saw him comparing baking cookies in an oven to the cookie monster, baking cookies in an oven to the Holocaust. Right. I mean, like, and then talking about how there's no way Cookie Monster could do that quickly to get sick. And it's just Tell like us a little more about who Nick Fuentes is, because uh, yeah. this is a name that I, I know only a bit, like okay. only a little bit. I don't know a, a whole lot about him. Um, and and actually, um, I, I, I looked him up um, more than anything because I heard you mention him to me one day. So the first time I find out about Nick Fuentes, the, this is the first time that New York City workers who were fired for vaccine mandates came together for a rally together in one spot. And it was at Pfizer headquarters in Manhattan. And so we're going down there. I'm actually happen to have my, my little son with me and I'm driving there and I get there and I pop out and there's this big ruckus that's happening. And I don't know much about it, but someone tells me Nick Fuentes is here and wants to join our rally. And a couple of activists there are like, F no, it's not happening. And there's this big calamity. There ends up being two rallies. One with Nick Fuentes and one with us. Nick Fuentes isn't from New York City. He flew in and he came in. There he is. And he came in when he showed up in a black SUV that he got out of and was cheered by all of these like 19, 20, 20, 21 year old white boys who mostly had masks on, who mostly yeah. we couldn't see. Um, they were doing things like screaming the word F-A-G. Hmm. on the streets of New York City over and over and over. You don't do that in Manhattan. You know, I don't care I don't care what, what your political ideology where it is. You don't fly in to New York City, try to take over a rally of New York City workers and chant derogatory terms towards homosexuals or any group. That that's 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 nuts. We were later told by uh sources in the media that we had that the plan was to get him there, have our rallies come together and take all the 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 photos and the video and put it up on, on the nightly news. Now we're all white supremacists. You know, with, with respect to the masks, of course, the mask science has never, has never looked good for masks, right? I mean, yeah. the, the best it, it- Oh, wait, Matt, Matt, I'm sorry. When I said masks, the white boys with masks, I meant they were there to conceal their faces. No, they no, 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 like, no, yeah. no I, I understand. And that's where I'm going with this. I actually think that that is, that that is the primary purpose. I, I, well, I shouldn't say the primary, but one of like, if there are two or three reasons but actually, I, I do think I think that uh, uh, an order came down from intelligence to 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 not oppose the pushing of the the masks and to make that a thing because um, we have had uh, you know mobs of people 
um, people who are actors who are, you know, paid to go to certain locations. Like it wouldn't shock me if everyone there for Nick Fuentes uh, was a paid actor, right? Like I know people who have taken these acting jobs, right? And, and, and you know, and who have even argued with me, like it, it's not my job to decide whether this is, this is an ethical thing. And I'm just like, you know, people, people don't know <laughs> that, like the difference between a street scene that that's real and, and, yes. and what was meant to be there. Right. Um, no, I, I think that, that we've seen this in mass and that you can scale individuals by putting a mask on. them. I, I, I think it's a great point. Um, you know, Antifa was able to do that right. Organically, organically, like they're able to put their masks on for, for years, for over a decade that they do it. And then there, there's no longer an individual there and the mob mentality can build and all of that. And they can just, just hide and for a long time that imagery was shocking to us when you saw people all in masks coming as as a group we were like well that that doesn't look right well now that's kind of like just what the population looks like right i mean the population just looks like masses of people walking uh, non-individuals uh in masks and um i think there's definitely something to the, the mask psyop is is really a bigger deal than, than anything else. I haven't looked deeply into it, but intuitively that, that resonates with me, Matt, the way. Yeah. And well, and I'll tell you a little bit of the history of that because um, I had, uh, I had a, a window of participation, but uh, you know, back with anonymous, you know, anonymous was a movement yes. that was, uh, that was definitely taken over by intelligence. You know, anybody who, who was there even a little bit uh, protesting Scientology um, knows that once things were online, that the people who were of good faith were flooded against a larger number of people who seemed to be infiltrators, meaning that it was probably essentially an army of intelligence officers on the other side when you got onto 4chan or wherever. And a lot of people think that these, um, that, you know, 4chan, 8chan, 8con eventually just became like, became like, you know, testing grounds or, um, or recruit testing grounds or recruiting grounds, but um, you know ways to see what messages would fly and what wouldn't, or what would be memefied and spread through the population, what wouldn't. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's something that very short term can be a tactic for people to hide their identity to keep their safety. Long term, in large numbers, it is a tactic for those who have the most resources to then further scale in order to protect their resource advantage. Yeah, and the one the one other piece I want to add into this is um there are also just um morons and weird people that come into activism too. And like sometimes you think that that person is an agent or whatever and they're not. They're just a person with issues and problems. And so then that complicates on a grassroots level as well too trying to work through personality, trying to work through ego, trying to work through just the weird people that get attracted to activism, plus all of this other more more chaos agent type stuff um, that we're going through here as well, too. And, you know, sometimes security or safety when you're dealing in grassroots organizing is really about thinking. It's not about having security around you. It's about thinking, having people you know and you trust right and planning with those people so as things expand you can um 
maintain the narrative because that's the biggest goal that the Nick Fuentes thing that tried to happen to us in New York City was about changing our narrative, was about pushing us in a direction where they could defame us in the media. That's one of the, the main tactics that they try to use against grassroots organizations in America. And I just want to relate because I'm realizing I had the same thing happen to me up here in Vancouver. Um, there's a gentleman that uh, my buddy Futch, who's watching, um, will know well, named Chris Sky. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Chris Sky. And mm. I, I have no reason to believe he's anything other than earnest. Um, but he is he's he's a um, a very, very popular activist who uh, up here in Canada, he's been going you know, left and right across the country, the entirety of, of the COVID crisis, which has resulted in warrants for his arrest because he's been breaking quarantine rules, all really nonsense type stuff. So I have no reason to believe he's anything other than Ernest, to be, to be totally clear. However, the same thing happened. He came um, and wanted to uh, be a part of this protest that, that, that we were at. And it's my understanding, the organizers of this particular protest um, opposed him. I think it was, he wanted to come speak. He wanted to go up on the mic. Um, and they didn't want that to happen because he tends to use, uh, profanity. He, he tends to swear, which I have no inherent problem with at all. Um, but I think the idea was in this case, it was a family friend, like they intentionally were trying to make it a family. So it was more of a know your audience kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it did result, however, in a splitting of the protest. But more than anything, it resulted in confusion. We didn't realize as attendees that this thing had essentially split into two. And there was talk of we were going to, you know, do a, a march and we were going to run through. And then half of the people disappeared. And then we didn't know if that was the march and we had missed it. So it, it's interesting. I feel earnestly or honestly in that case it wasn't intentional but the right. result was a splitting and when chris guy shows up he's an example of someone that the media does know well and can paint a caricature of that then is used to spread across the entire um protest right. and that's and that's a that's a that's a great example the nick fuentes example where he's he's nationally known he's known to yeah. be connected to, to actually real white supremacists i know they call everybody a white supremacist i i know that's a tactic nick fuentes is really linked in he's a self-described white supremacist and it's really bad he's called yeah. for a, a catholic taliban in america but in a good way he's called for trump to be elected president and then we end elections i mean he's just like it's not so he, he when he flies into Manhattan and comes out of a black SUV and tries to take over our protest without talking to us, that that's not just quirky personality guy or something, right? What you're talking about can happen all the time in grassroots oh, organizing yeah. just from the oddities of the human being, of just how difficult it is for us to fly together sometimes. Or maybe it's something else as well, too, you know, but discerning that and thinking that through and not making assumptions on everything all the time uh it, it's important in organizing um and and the messaging i know a group that once said no everybody gets the mic we let everybody come up everybody gets two minutes we're free speech we're open. that's one specific message and and organizing plan but then you want to be family friendly you want the kids there you want a certain message to get up everybody can't get the mic that's going to be a different set of ground rules and how do you message that out a lot, a lot of challenges in, in all of that. Yeah. Well, and I want to turn back a minute to the, this interesting phenomenon with, I had not, 
I'm not familiar with this whole Antifa mask situation, but it looks like there's a long story here. Uh, like this article being from the Guardian, I pulled up more than six years old. Victorian protesters could face ma- could face mask ban under laws flagged after violent rally. The picture, you know, you've got your guy Fox mask. Everyone else has got various variations on things that, as you say, now are very, very common. Uh, and then you get, as Matthew mentioned, the anonymous movement. You have these sort of not not like dark web, but sort of weird part of the internet on these message boards. Um, and then you have things like the the QAnon, um, I don't know what to call it, a situation or, or uh, phenomenon and leading to, or, or maybe not leading to, I don't want to put it that way. But, and then you have an example of a protest that very much did go sideways, which was January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering what your what your perspective is on on January sixth. If that's not too pointed, no, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to talk about that. The first thing is that there was eighty or ninety thousand people there. I mean, there was grandmas for Trump there. There was there was so many people there that represented approximately half of America. Yeah. And I think it's so important we remember that that that's who was largely represented there. And then there was a contingency that got riled up. Definitely looks like there was, I mean, how is it possible there were 90,000 people marching towards the Capitol and FBI and three-letter agencies aren't all over the place? How's, how's that even possible? Right? Uh, that's I mean, on the record now. Logical. Yeah. They must be there. Yeah. And then we see, I mean, see all these characters, this warrior guy, just the, all these different things that are happening. And then there's the, the group think that happens and, 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 um, I think it's 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 a mix of things that happen yeah. um, that does not reflect on half of America that support Trump for all types of reasons, including a, a large contingency of rank and file labor folk that were fed up with what the Democrats were selling them as pro labor, as pro union, and they went. People forget this, but Trump was elected. One of the first thing he did was pull us out of the um, Pacific Trade uh, Partnership Agreement. This yeah, was the, the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership. You. Yeah, that's what it is. The TPP. Day one, he pulled us out of that. And Jimmy Hoffa's son thanked him, right? I mean, this is a major labor leader in America. So um, this this notion that orange man bad, this notion that if you're at January 6th, like, we, we, we need to get you at... Get the sedition hunters on you. We need to tag the FBI on your social media posts. So then, um, this this is craziness, in my opinion. I didn't vote for Trump. I don't think I ever will personally. That that's not my politics and such. But I want to dialogue with half of America. I want to talk about what it is, why they voted for him, and how they view America. The idea of cutting them off, the idea of labeling them terrorists, and the idea of dismissing them is frightening. We cannot live in an America like that. There needs to be engagement of, of all of these, these different sides. You know, I mean, the, the 80, 90,000 people that were there, it was not 80, 90,000 Nick Fuentes. No. It wasn't at all. So. Right. There, there's some sort of social engineering that goes on with a lot of this, right? Um, and the, the one that I point back to, and this actually, this, this got me weirdly in trouble with a lot of my friends. I was, I never voted for Trump, um, but I would often defend 
uh, you know, his supporters, right? When um, when he said, uh, "I love my least educated voters," or something like that, I uh, my my or I can't remember the exact words. You know, I I, I saw uh, a lot of people um, kind of you know attacking that or or whatnot. Um, you know, the, oh look, you know, they're all dumb people basically, right? Like this is who all of the people who aren't educated vote for um, is if there's some, you know, particular degrading meaning to not having a college degree perhaps. And, um, and I said, you know what, um, you know, you know, whatever this is, this politics, you know, he, you know, maybe you think he's a liar, maybe he's lying, but you know what, we know that you're not. When you say that, that, you know, that you dislike these, uh, these, you know, less educated voters. There's something about the way that this politics works to sort of like uh, rile up the sense of there being a mass, the sense of there being a crowd. And I think, I, I think it's even even though it's a different thing, I think that's that's part of what it sounds like you're talking about with the Nick Fuentes um, issue. And I, I want to bring one into this, and and I don't know what your thoughts are and how it, it it's changed the political grounds that we're in. But um, I had a friend who helped. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with this in Chicago there, it, it was discovered that there was a black site detention facility. It appears to be just unconstitutional on face. And this is already years ago. You know, this is eight years ago. We knew that thousands of people were being detained, mostly black Chicago residents, in fact. And, uh, I had a friend who was involved in organizing a protest for this. And it seems that it, there must have been some sort of like a top-down order. Democrats do not go. Don't tell people this is happening because uh, because friends of mine called all the different Democratic organizations. They were not interested. We're not interested in protesting this. So if you go and view the protests, you'll see Guy Fox masks. Mm-hmm. You'll see Libertarian T-shirts. You'll see some Republicans. You know whatever. Um, but weirdly, you just won't see the Democrats. And there, there were apparently people. It's called Homan Square, by the way. There, there were apparently people who, you know, were, were sort of, I don't know, acting as if, hey, we should get violent about this or something like that. There, there were so few people that it was almost laughable. Apparently, right. now, I mean, there were hundreds of people who showed up, right? This is clearly something that could have been thousands or tens of thousands, right? But the, so there was going to be no violence. But the people that I know who were there said, yeah, there were people, you know, trying to, um, you know, to give it a bad name. So anyway, I, I wanted to bring that in because I think people don't know how often this happens and the effect of the control over the crowd. Yeah. You know, how, how much this seems to be engineered. Yeah, no, absolutely. Once you could get group think happening, the individual ceases to exist. Your critical thinking is cut down. Your connection to your soul and your being is weakened. All of that happens on the same side when we all come together in mass with connection to the individual and to the soul and to such. What an amazing, enlightening thing that could be. So, so, so that's the goal of chaos agents. The goal of chaos agents is to cut us off from the light of our soul as we come together because if they can do that then they can just move people like sheep they can move us into whatever direction however they want to do so i, I was unaware of that chicago situation i'll have to look into that right <laughs> and i literally just heard about it for the first time like two days ago yeah uh and i'm not american so it, it's a little more understandable but these are serious right. things like these are these should be front page news and they should not be politically affiliated issues right 
Um, and I, I want to, so what happened with the truckers convoy here in Canada, it really looks as though there was people who were trying very hard to turn it into a Jan, like to replicate a January 6th type situation, which itself looked as though it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And the way it's talked about is far different than what actually happened, even though it was, it was bad, but the trucker convoy in Canada didn't even get to levels that could even kind of be perceived as bad to the point where we've now finished our uh, required um, inquiry that it, it, it just finished uh, where they heard about everything that happened. And, you know, you heard reports of a swastika and a, for some reason, a Confederate flag, which really doesn't mean anything in, in up in here. Canada. Why? Uh, that, where? Where's the historical roots of that in Canada? You know, uh, Trump supporters. What? Right. We're st it's still Canada. Um, anyway, but even those turns out really look as though they were. It, it seems the person who did that may have actually been a reporter for the Toronto Star. May have been. I'm saying. I'm not saying it was, but th there was evidence introduced to suggest it may have been a reporter for the Toronto star, which is like the New York times up here. Okay. And then you had a whole bunch of other allegations that were entirely made up, just never happened. Okay. So nothing went wrong in Ottawa itself is basically what the inquiry found. So first of all, second of all, then we come to, well, there were other places that, that were happening, uh, having their own, like it was, a na in fact, an international event, which we don't think about often. But in the context of Canada, there was Ottawa, then there was Coots, Alberta, and a couple others, Windsor, Ontario. But in Coots, as Matthew has, has touched on uh, in previous conversations, there was a cache of, of weapons uh, discovered. And now I will say, I'm still not convinced there actually were guns found. I, I have to look in further. I, I've, I've heard testimony suggesting that their definition of weapon included things like tire irons, which are in most cars. Um, so, but the point is, if it, let's say it was, let's, let's, let's say it was in fact weapons by, by all accounts, you know, the way we would define them, then uh, again, averted crisis averted um but it look you could easily see how that was a plant of some kind and how the, any any real attempts at violence that occurred really first of all didn't happen thank goodness second of all seemed to be separate from the event well, and, and i i can't remember who told me this um it may have been you it may have been somebody else liam um i uh, it may have been brian brazi uh but uh, there there's no footage of the weapons being removed from like any of the trucks or anything there is just footage of the weapons being laid out on a table so, so there's no there's no chain of custody of the information that this has anything to do with with you know the movement. So yeah, um, it, it's clear that that there are lots of techniques being used and they're being used effectively, and people need to know that. People need to know that whether or not they're Republican or Democratic. And you know, Michael, what you just said about you know things shifting the other direction. This is actually something that I worry about, and actually something I believe is part of. Uh, is part of a plan, I believe. Yeah, I agree. I believe that the plan is to um, to shift control of, of governance in the U.S. Um, back to the Republican Party in in a very um, it, and and it, it could be in a way that is very complete, even more complete. Like you know, it, it's been frustrating that the Democrats have had uh, the presidency in both houses of Congress, 
right? Like I, I'm I'm more of a fan of gridlock just because the worst <laughs> policies can't, you know, or it's harder to get the worst policies to take yep. place. Um, though I think that there's enough control that that these days it might not matter. Um, but if if things shift back entirely to the Republicans, they have the governors also. There's a point at which you can begin to do things like amend the Constitution. Um, everybody needs to think about uh, not you know not so much who controls X, Y, or Z on any one day, but what the powers are, what levers of you know what yes. what actions can take place, whether or not those are power levels levers that should be in the hands of government you know central governments to begin with, and and that those. Those power lever levers are the prizes over which chaos agents would want to fight, yes. right? Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, um, this New Year's Eve in Times Square, uh, an individual uh, broke out a machete and yeah. slashed a couple of people. And this individual who, by, by my views of, of his picture, appears to be uh, American-born Caucasian, they're mm. saying is an Islamist. Uh, fundamentalist, and he was radicalized at some point. Yeah, I, I might be wrong about his background. I might just be basing it off of my photos. I didn't read enough into it. But um, a, a former CIA deputy was on, I believe, Meet the Press on January 1st uh, and said he believes there will be Islamic terror attack uh, on Western soil in 2023. Oh, no. To me, that rings very, 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 very much of Republican power. The Islamist threat narrative is a an American Republican narrative work has worked very well for them since since 9-11 all the way up till now. I even had uh, a, a Republican recently right after this just tell me like, yeah, we do, we do it with, um, you know, the, the, the Islamic threat, just like the Democrats do it with, with with their stuff. So I don't know. It's just one incident. But it is that possible thing. Because listen, the COVID fear is really, it's played itself out. People are not hyper afraid of COVID. And, and as people are settling in, uh, a, one, one of my colleagues recently said to me, now they can think, they can think, why did I get COVID when I got four vaccines? Why, why did my son who's 19 have a heart attack? Why is my neighbor dead when I just know he's so healthy? When you're calm, you can rationalize. And so I wonder if there's going to be a pivot into into another direction of change the narrative. And I, I have that same concern, concern Matt. Um, you know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> you, you just might get it. You know, yeah. And I will say that I, I was, uh, I think, as many people were caught off guard by the results of of the midterm elections. I I did believe it was going to be a heavier Republican swing. And at first, I I don't want to say I wasn't disappointed. Because, again, I'm not team Republican. I, I, again, Canadian. Uh, I'm not on any particular team. Um, in Now, fast forward to now, I'm quite satisfied with the results <laughs> for the reason that Matthew articulated, which is it's probably better to have power spread uh, or diversified as much as possible, ideally outside of government altogether. Um, but what we wound up with is a slight reclaiming of Republican power, slight. Some interesting individual cases, for example, the Kerry Lake election uh, contest in Arizona, which I find very interesting. Um, so, you know, 
But largely, there was no Republican sweep, which if we are concerned about any one party having too much power, then this seems to have avoided that. So yeah, in, in, um, in New York, we have things lean uh, more red than in most places, uh, not as much as some people had had hoped for. But a large portion of that, and it's recognized even amongst the Republican Party, was medical freedom voters, was people coming out, voting against mandates and pushing back because New York got hit. I mean, New York and California really got hit, hit the hardest. And we've, you know, we've organized through that. We've gotten people to come out and uh, and vote on these issues and vocalize about that. The, the one space where I do feel bad, especially in the Northeast and New England, Pennsylvania, um, oh. And a couple other areas is that some of those areas got more blue and some people are worried, are they going to be empowered now to bring in more mandates because uh, the Democrats are largely supportive um, of that. So they're, they're, we, we are advising people throughout, especially the Northeast and beyond, on what strategies to do and what to do to try to um, push back on that. But I do believe if people show up like we're doing January 10th in Albany, we're going to the Capitol uh, so definitely come if you're in the New York area. If people show up and push back, I think the mandate narrative is as weak as it's ever been, uh, definitely since COVID had happened. And that's why where we're all going with this conversation is, OK, what's next? Is there something next? Is, you know, what is going to where do we need to look now? And uh, I don't don't have the answer. Just just viewing the data points as they come up and waiting to see what happens. Yeah. Well, part of me feels like no matter what it is, or I'm wondering, and I'm kind of hopeful that no matter what it is, we already have the model to respond. Um, because if you, if you, under, I think, again, I may be wrong, I'm speculating, but it seems as though these narratives all focus on the same, they actually do undermine the same fundamental rights. They are resulting in the same in the end, the same kind of policy changes overall, you know? Um, and what I mean is broadly speaking, the removal of freedom, uh, uh, in, in the various ways that that comes about, uh, for the COVID, uh, narrative, it resulted in the, the compromising of bodily autonomy and medical freedom, but it also did interrupt, you know, the ability to move freely within your own sovereign land, you know, in a way that's not legal. And the laws are written differently in Canada and the states and between states and um, within your own state. But the, but the point is, that's not something that can be restricted except for, you know, if you achieve a very, you know, uh, a certain threshold of danger or whatever. Um, and so, for example, uh, I got a little taste of what, what I think might, it's sort of far-fetched, but what I think might be the answer to what could be next um, and, and so this is speculation, but we've had, as, as you know, in fact, I think this was across North America, um, some pretty serious storms uh, in the last uh, in the last two weeks, actually. Um, I know Texas got hit pretty hard, um, as it has historically. Um, we, we got it pretty bad up here in the Pacific Northwest. It was it was really snowy, really icy for a day or two. And the thing to watch, of course, is the narrative. And the narrative was, it's dangerous outside, stay home. And the language that was used from, from our government agencies, repeated through the media, 
was almost identical to the language used in the context of COVID. It was eerie. Um, and in ways that I haven't experienced previously uh, in, in the context of, you know, it's, it's, it's a weather situation. And, and so it's sort of far-fetched to think that this concept of climate lockdowns could be anything more than just kind of a, it's not even a conspiracy theory, but kind of a, a, a generous stretch. But I, I felt like I was kind of watching the beginning of a seeding of a premise that the government can tell you that you have to stay inside under threat of punishment if they decide the weather is a certain way. I, I, um, I, I think I th I'm, I'm actually going to have to have to go after this. I have, I have a meeting to get to. Yeah, you bet. I, I think that um, they're certainly going to do that if they have the opportunity, even if there is a real climate catastrophe that really warrants the need and this is where things become so horrible is the loss of trust that we've had in the government what if there is a moment that i think there's a there's a lot of academics and doctors and scientists and people that did feel like we we should lock down for these two weeks we need an abundance of caution and then and then when the two weeks became two months and then a year i think they were like oh my god what did i agree to what what did i and, and, and that's probably the biggest thing that was lost and gained. This, this loss of trust in the government, we probably shouldn't have trusted to begin with anyway. And um, that is the terrain forward for us now is to figure out. And, and that, that becomes, you know, much more on personal responsibility and autonomy and community building and, and, and all of that stuff that uh, is very difficult. And a little painful because you have to you have to own it and you have to be actively engaged and involved, you know. Well, Michael, before you go, um, just this conversation just in the last few minutes gave me an idea. Like, you know, right now in the U.S., more and more people identify as independents, right? It's not, um, you know, people are shedding the the party labels yeah. um, to at least to a degree. Um, and it's been happening gradually over the years, but I think right now more so than ever. Um you know, what if somebody put together a website where it, it wasn't about like Republican, Democrat, it was about conversations like issues and tracking where candidates were on different issues. And then people would be able to look at slates of candidates and say, I want to elect a slate of candidates who believe in medical freedom, or I want to uh, elect a slate of candidates who believe in downsizing, downsizing the military or, or the military not being responsible for X, Y, and Z out of its you know, out of its overall role, you know, a lot of us, we, we want a military that can protect our borders, right? But, you know, maybe not to do some other things. Um, may, you know, maybe, maybe that, could, could that be part of the issue? Could it, could it be sort of like people showing up for protests where Liam sees a thousand people and says, oh, I'm not alone. Perhaps there would be something on that level. Um, it, I don't know, like, like, like reorienting partisanship uh, not around parties, but around issues. Around issues. I, I, I think that could be really powerful. I think it could be powerful coming out of the medical freedom community as well, too, because I think there's a lot of momentum to what we've done and what we've built. And I do think the political is an area we should explore. It's not the only area of solution. But I think, uh, I think, and I know, I know a number of people, they're talking about 2024 right now. You know, they're they're talking and planning and strategizing and looking at candidates and primaries and third parties and thinking it all through. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I do think that um, we've pushed back against the mandates in such a powerful way. We've demanded that that's on the table um, and that it's, it's a political voting issue now. And uh, yeah, let's, let's lay it all out by issues. I think that could be really powerful, Matt. Yeah. Well, let's start on January 10. Uh, <laughs> get your bus tickets if you need them. <laughs> January 10, Medical Freedom Rally in Albany. That's awesome. Um, is there any final message or any instructions you want us to leave our, our, our uh, audience of wonderful people watching us right now with? Uh, any, anything we can say clearly, this is what you should do if you want to be involved. Oh, right now, just go to teachersforchoice.org, teachersforchoice.org. And um, if you're in New York, definitely reach out to me. We're not just teachers. We're 100% opposed to medical mandates. And if you're in the Northeast, you know, if, you know, if you're in New England, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, any area like that, definitely reach out to us because we are expanding and we are working with people all throughout the region. And if you are in you know, Maine or uh, Vermont, um, connect with me because I know activists up there as well, too. Don't feel alone. Don't just stay behind the screen and on your laptop. It's great that you've discovered rounding the earth. That's amazing in itself. So that's fantastic. But now you need to see what happens when you round the earth and get out into the earth as well, too. And that, that that's that's my passion. That's what I do. So connect with me through Teachers for Choice, and I'll help to connect you, especially in the Northeast. Other places I can do it, too, but I have a good network uh, here in Northeast in America. Yeah. Well, incredible, Michael. Thank you so much for your hard work and everything you're doing. Thank you for joining us here today. Uh, I know you got to get to another meeting, so your time is so appreciated. And I hope we get to talk to you again um, in the very near future. Thank you so much, guys. Keep doing your great work. Thanks so much. Rock on. Thanks See for joining later. us, Mike. Um, okay, Matthew, I know you mentioned there might be some construction. Is, is there anything you wanted to say to wrap up this wonderful conversation? Or no, I don't think so. I'm going to explore this idea, though, of, uh, of partisanship by issue um, and how that could be organized, because um, I, I feel like there's something there. I want to talk it over with uh, more people, find out what other people think about that, like whether or not um, yeah, you'd have to get a lot of people using like a website or something yeah. like that that would, that would uh, allow for organization and you would allow uh, – you would need to allow both people to have access to the website, like both sides of an issue to be able to discuss their side of the issue. Right. Um, you don't want it to be like a website that pushes like one slate of issues in order to make it a, a larger thing though. It, yeah. it, it might splinter into multiple communities anyway, but I want to discuss it with some people and then come back and, and maybe talk about it again. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. It's a good idea. And, and it, it presents some inherent challenges that I, I can't help, but feel like have been attempted before. Maybe not successfully, but good. Something to return to. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful first roundtable back in 2023. And um, like I said at the beginning, this is, I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty crazy year. And I'm hoping it takes a mostly positive turn. I don't know about you. I feel more empowered in my own life than I have in frankly since before covid and i hope you guys feel the same way so thank you so much for watching go to www.roundingtheearth.locals.com we've had a live chat going there this entire time and um, that's where you can find our uh, exclusive members only 
uh, live streams that happen once a week where we talk about stuff that is not quite ready to make full videos or full conversations out of for the general public, but where we can share ideas. And um, we now also are, uh, I'm, I'm making a bit of an adjustment to how I approach rounding the news. I'm going to switch back, of course, to focusing on the news as I'm wrapping up my um, Sam Bankman freed FTX investigations thing. And I'm going to turn those into two different things because investigation pieces are very important, but, um, we also want to make sure we're staying up to date on what's actually going on. And the locals page is going to be the best place. If you have something that you think I haven't seen, or Matthew hasn't seen, or a community at large needs to see, drop it at runningtheearth.locals.com. And that's where I'll be basing my work as well. And um, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you later in the week for even more awesome discussions. Goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm.